Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to season two, episode number eight of Center Stand, the motorcycle industry podcast produced by your friends at the Progressive International Motorcycle Shows and IMS Outdoors, hosted right here at continuetheride.com. Today, we're going to explore building an aftermarket brand where you're going to receive some advice from some good friends of mine. Uh, including uh, industry veteran uh, Eric Anderson. I, I know he loves the veteran phrase. And two founders, newbies, the other side of the spectrum, for break-free technologies. Um, Alex and Ian are going to join us from that team. Uh, now, even if you're a dealer and you're not in the aftermarket supply business, there's going to be some lessons here for you uh, on your brand uh, and tips on how to market the brands you represent. So uh, listen in. Uh, I want to welcome Eric. Uh, I'm going to start off with you. I'm excited to have you on the show finally. You've done so much through your career in the industry. Um, give our listeners a quick review uh, of your uh, veteran-like career. And I can joke with Eric because I've ridden across the country with him. But uh, Yeah, I was going to say, should I leave out the part where I slept in the same room as you for 20 yeah, straight days? Yes, definitely leave that part out. We have we we all appreciate that, and that that's already ruining everybody's uh, uh, episode here. But uh, we we did do the Trans Am Trail on dirt bikes, so we did we did we accomplished something together, Eric. So uh, tell us uh, when you're not messing around with dirt bikes on gravel roads across the country, what are you doing? Well, now I'm I'm in the Bat Cave. Um, you know, I come out every couple of years with some kind of new idea, new business, new concept, but somewhat of a disruptor always kind of looking for the next thing and i think the next thing for me anyway is going to be small motorcycles um i'm looking forward to that you know after 35 years working at the mic as a young man motorcycle safety foundation after that uh 18 years at intersport fashions west building brands like hein Garica and first gear and then doing all the oem private label work for most of the oems including harley davidson um, I've done some work for MAG, the Motorsport Aftermarket Group, which is now gone. Um, founded Scorpion Sports, but um, and the Scorpion Helmet line. But I'm I'm still in the apparel business, and I'm helping a lot of small startups, which is really exciting. I mean, I I love seeing Ian and Alex here because, as you said earlier, it's on the other end of the spectrum, the age spectrum. They're newly starting, and I you know I've probably built half dozen brands from scratch and excited to talk to you more about those robert so uh, you've you've hit on some of your uh, your career highlights certainly those are brands that people may not uh, associate your name with um uh directly but hein garrick is a well-known brand in the u.s scorpion was everywhere in uh, advertising and and all over um, the motorcycle industry for a while, but can you hit on a couple of other brands that that maybe don't sit on the surface as much? Maybe other other brands that you're proud of that you that you've done some work with? Yeah, I mean, I helped the Ace Cafe in London come to the United States and set up the giant Moto restaurant there in Orlando, Florida. That was a great five year project, and that's successful now. Um, if you're ever in Orlando, you've got to go to the Ace Cafe if you're a motorcycle nut or a motorhead. You gotta go, and I've, I've helped the quad ski guys. They were amphibians out of New Zealand. Um, some of you might remember a big ATV with retractable wheels that could do 45 miles an hour on land and 45 miles, miles an hour uh, on the water too. 
Uh, I've helped those guys. And then more recently got Roxor, the off-road brand of UTV from Mahindra. I helped launch that about four years ago too, came up with the name, the startup, the marketing go-to-market program. And uh, they've had some issues lately because of the pandemic and also some issues with Fiat Chrysler and Jeep, but Roxor will still be around. They're, they're, they'll be back. That's it. That's going to be a tenacious brand. I know it. So on, again, on the other end of the spectrum, we've got a couple of guys who started uh, a brand new brand. And so they're at the at the beginning of this and uh, and certainly have a different perspective um, than Eric and I do. Um, and that's uh, Alex and Ian from Break Free Technologies. Um, love that name, by the way. First off, um, why don't you give us uh, a little bit of background on what is uh, what is the Break Free product all about? Well, thank you so much for that, Robert. Um, yeah, so Break Free is a wireless helmet accessory that um, increases the rider's visibility first and foremost. And secondly, it is a completely wireless brake light. Um, it works based off of sensors, so there's absolutely nothing you have to hook up to the motorcycle. There's no wiring needed. There's no apps or anything like that for you to install for this thing to work. Um, we try to make this as simple and user-friendly as possible, but keep that functionality and keep the cool design going as well to make it appealing to most riders, I would hope. Okay, so was that Alex or Ian? That was Alex. Alex, okay, so Ian, I'm gonna I'm gonna toss it over to you. Uh, give us a little bit of your like sort of personal experience in power sports. Um, were you guys are you guys both motorcyclists? Are you coming at this from a technology standpoint or a market? You know, you saw a need and you decided to fill it, or or what, what's the background for Break Free? Sure, yeah. So this uh, it all kind of happened serendipitously. Um, I'm a lifelong writer and industrial designer. Um, on the OEM side, usually I'm usually doing you know motorcycles and power sports. Um, I've done that for about 15 years or so. Um, and Alex and I just happened to meet when um, I was working, you know, some freelance in California and also sitting into a dealership doing sales on the side. So he just happened to walk in one day and started talking about something. And, you know, I, I kind of realized hey, you guys need an industrial designer that knows the market and uh, you know, knows motorcycles. So things all kind of worked out that way. So that's, I mean, that's kind of, you know, it's funny because you go back to like uh, the Indian motorcycle origin story where, you know, an engineer and a racer got together and they're like, they both had their skill sets uh, and, you know, there's a yin yang and it kind of worked out. Um, so tell us a little bit about like forming your team as a new brand, um, some of the challenges you guys may have had, or um, if you've if you've found gaps in developing this brand. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's you know, at first we kind of you know started with an angel investor who was working with Alex. Alex was finishing up a, a business plan or a, a business uh, degree in San Jose and. You know, they they had an idea and realized, you know, they were kind of missing the industrial design portion of it. And then as we kind of formulated this thing, we realized we're missing, you know, some of the the algorithm and the tech side of it. So we we just started to kind of fill in gaps as we went along. We we brought on Henry, who's our our fourth team member, who's um, you know, also a rider, which is I guess <laughs> going back a little bit, really important that we all ride. We all you know 
we're all those those people. Writers are our people. So, you know, we're trying to make products that we care about and in a, in a market segment that we care about. Um, you know, we pulled in Henry, who's a manufacturing specialist, and, you know, things kind of work from there. And, you know, we've, again, we're, we're at the beginning of this. So, you know, we we did the Indiegogo thing. You know, right off the mm-hmm. bat, which is you know, mm-hmm. the, the kind of new, non-traditional way of crowdfunding, we you know got a little bit of momentum that way. And uh, more recently, we were on Shark Tank, which kind of helped you know get some exposure. And now we're kind of just in the early stages of you know we've, we've sold a bunch of units. We're we're kind of building out our brand and starting from kind of the ground ground floor, basically. So, Eric, you were on Shark Tank thirty years ago, right? <laughs> yeah, we could call it Shark Tank back then. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, the the point I'm getting at here, and by the way, I want to touch on what industrial design in is. You sit in your office and look around, and everything you see was designed by somebody. That's what industrial design is. Literally, from the toaster at your house to what your uh, the the iconic Bic pen was designed. <laughs> by a designer so uh trust me if you think industrial design is something that doesn't touch your life it touches your life every single day so it's a critical critical thing but getting back to eric when you you first started launching a brand it was completely analog at that time right so can you can you speak a little bit i i mean we know like back in the day when you were driving your horse-drawn buggy down down the road you know dirt was new yeah yeah when dirt was new right but what i want you to do is relate not just like what it was like back then, but how that experience back then has informed you in the modern era where you can buy really targeted advertising and that sort of thing. Well, first of all, I got to compliment Ian and, and Alex to the design, the industrial design of your product that affixes to the back of a helmet. Remember, I'm a helmet geek too. And helmets are designed, they almost look like starships, you know, these days. And you guys created an add-on device, um, you know, that stoplight device that's triggered in wireless on the back of a helmet that looks almost like it was integrated right into the design of the helmet. It's a beautiful job. My compliments to you. And what's what's cool is you you guys, and these are options I didn't have back when there were, you know, buggy whips and um, before cars, et cetera, as Pandia keeps poking the bear. But you guys are selling this product um, not through big box distributors, not even really through dealers yet. Maybe you will in the future, but you're selling it retail direct, which was never an option for us unless I got in my buggy with a bunch of Heingerica jackets in the back and went to motorcycle rallies. So, you know, what's interesting now is that you we have so much more technology, retail technology that's available to us that we didn't have back then. We were pretty much forced to sell through the big box distributors, which always took a 35% margin. You had to, you know, you not only had to basically sell to the buyer, convince him that your product is good and going to make them money, but then you had to help him sell it to his 100 sales reps, who then in turn had to sell it to uh, 4,000 motorcycle dealers in America. Now there's 9,000. Um, so it's kind of like the telephone game. You know, back then, you, you're basically selling your product three to four times to get it through the pipeline, to move it from manufacturing all the way to the end user. And your message gets diluted each time it moves down. So I had to travel my brains out back mm-hmm. in analog times 
to actually touch every dealer, to walk, to sit in the right-hand seat with a sales rep with a van full of samples and go in with a rolling rack and, you know, show them here, touch this, which that word here, by the way, is an incredibly powerful word. Right. That was, that was, that was when people actually walked into brick and mortar stores and touched things before they bought them. And that's how we used to get things off of the shelf into people's hands. So, so let, let, me inter- let, me, let me interrupt here, Eric. Is that part, that analog part of interacting with the product, is that something that can be replicated in a modern era? Or it, do you see too much reliance on electronic advertising and and that kind of thing or is it does the video do enough to you know to to create that sense when it comes to the motorcycle itself or the bike i think it can be sold digitally quite easily if you have the ability as a diy guy to install it yourself i'm differentiating between the bike and the human body with the body touch is much more sensitive if it's clothing if it's supposed to be worn on your body chances are you're going to want to touch it feel it see it and try it on or look at yourself in the mirror before you buy it although now there are digital mannequins you can recreate yourself in 3d um and that digital mannequin can tell you whether brand x jacket will fit your indoor for um you know body or not um, so it takes body shape. So it's getting better, Robert. And I think, you know, when it comes to clothing, um, it's still more of a challenge. Um, you know, you buy your Zappos shoes, you make sure they fit. And if they don't, you put the UPS call tag back on the box, you ship them back. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's pretty standard procedure. But that's sort of one thing about Alex and, and Ian's product, the break free tail light that's on the back of your helmet. It's obvious. I watched that video and I, okay. I got to have one of those because I'm a safety Nazi anyway. I just think it's brilliant in design. It's super simple. You know, it's not triggered by one of those complex mercury switches that we saw in the 90s or early 2000s. This is a, what is this, a triaxial accelerometer or something with a little battery in it. And it's, just, it's beautiful. It's just so simple. You guys are are knocking on it. You're doing really well with launching it. But when we get into building a brand a little bit later with Robert, I'm, I'll have some advice for you, though. I, I still have advice once in a while from an old guy. Shocking. Yeah. Shocking. The guy years at the end open. of the bar still has advice. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. We're absolutely years open for it, and we're right in that kind of infancy of, you know, we, we're doing the direct sales, but we're starting to talk to dealers and starting to talk to distributors and trying to figure out, you know, what the benefits are. So we're well, And you know that's not because I know more than you. It's because I've made more mistakes than you. uh that's why veteran motocross tracks don't have doubles so uh the uh uh, along the way alex or ian either one of you guys can answer this question but um there certainly have been like sort of big steps in your brand right one was just recognizing that uh, you know here's here's a place uh one was maybe saying that we can make it look good and attractive and something that people want to add to any helmet uh can you speak to the company and to the brand like what some of those um those big breakthroughs were yeah i think um the first one to kind of leverage is just you know because i'm an industrial designer because i have you know the aesthetic sense and i have an understanding of you know the way the market 
kind of reads 2D and 3D things. I think, you know, that was one thing that we tried to play up because, you know, maybe not all of our competitors have that that knowledge. So, you know, it's creating a creating the form language that kind of matches the consumer that we want, creating, you know, the videos and the 3D stuff that went along with the campaign and, you know, trying to kind of curate a little ecosystem of everything that gives you those subconscious cues that we, you know, we're kind of trying to project. And now you probably still at a point, I don't want to assume this. And so just tell me if I'm wrong here, but you're probably still at a point where you're in sort of like a high touch with your consumers, right? People send you an email and somebody on your team is relatively small team is going to be able to answer that and that kind of thing. So absolutely. Initial, initial promoters, the ones who initially buy the thing end up being a really critical resource for a new brand. Can you speak a little bit to, to how you see working with those, uh, those early adopters? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think launching on Indiegogo is a pretty critical step in getting those early supporters on board. So, you know, um, they've gone through the entire journey of getting this product out onto the market. We launched the product in March of 2017, but we didn't deliver it until just early in 2020. So there's been a lot of hurdles that we had to overcome. There's a lot of issues, but you know, the, the fact that we had so many people that believed in our product that saw what we're doing to address the issues, they saw that we're not cutting any corners, that we're addressing every little detail. And I think the most important part was that we were very forthcoming and very open. Kind of being honest has been our brand, essentially, for um, our early uh, customers. And we're continuing that on um, currently, you know. So right now, with every single order, every single customer is getting an email from me, thanking them for their purchase and, you know, appreciating the fact that they're supporting a small business. And, you know, a lot of people really value that they're saying that, you know, it's so great to hear from a CEO of a company, you know, we don't, I don't think I've ever gotten that from another company and they feel like they have kind of an end to the company. Um, and so we're definitely answering every single question that's coming into our inboxes. Um, it's becoming more and more difficult as we're growing. And we do have uh, another team member now that's helping um, kind of man the uh, support inbox for us. But, you know, every single customer still has my email and is still able to access to me and, and, and the team. So I think that that's, that's been huge and I'll definitely try and keep that up for as long as we can. So Eric, you've, you've started a lot of brands and that consumer communication, you know, from the analog era, when you're using telegraphs or carrier pigeons or whatever, uh, up to the modern area where, you know, people have direct access to you. That's that's a challenge for a startup brand, right? Is, is exactly uh, uh, what they're talking about here is to sort of maintain that connection with consumers um, as the brand grows. Can you speak to some of your experience in like sort of maintaining that consumer connection while things get obviously more hectic and more busy? It's so much easier now. I mean, I look back at how we used to do market research behind the mirrored glass and bring in motorcycle riders of different sizes and shapes and ask them questions about, you know, clothing and helmet preferences and show mm-hmm. them shapes and designs. And and then I, I hear Alex, you know, talk about going to Indiegogo. I mean, Indiegogo is a that's the real acid test. Yeah. It's to get people to throw money at your idea 
rather than give you their personal opinions on whether they like the design or not. The fact is they do like the design if they're going to throw money at you. Um, I, I just think it's brilliant now that a new startup company can go to a crowdfunding operation like that, um, raise some money, which confirms that's the right idea, it's the right concept, and then sell customer direct and bring it backwards in the pipeline later. Once they're proven, once mm -hmm. the proof of concept is there, then they bring it backwards to dealers. Um, I think that's really where we had to push it forward through dealers and pray that the end user was going to love it. And, you know, in many cases, we were lucky. We did our research, but it was still not quite the, uh, the, the test that uh, a crowdfunding operation would provide. I think there's an amount of immediate direct feedback that's available right now. And then there's also with that comes immediate direct expectation. Right. As uh, people are like, well, I want it to be day glow orange. So yeah. make it day glow orange tomorrow. Right. And uh, and people expect that to be able to happen tomorrow. Uh, back, uh, you know, some uh, some time ago, it was it was that analog process where it would go out to a consumer. And then maybe you would see that consumer at a show or they would send in a warranty registration with a with, right. you know, some additional writing on it that could be a suggestion for the next thing. So things happen a lot faster now. And it's interesting that you bring up dealers because Break Free just signed their first um, dealer in February. So congratulations to you guys. Um, <laughs> that's great. Um, can you speak a little bit to that that dealer relationship and how you want to tackle that. And maybe Eric, you can weigh in on, on, on that, given your, uh, your history and working with so many dealers around the country. Sure. And, and you know, I would say, you know, because your product is helmet related, fitting a helmet is really a tantamount importance. And, you know, sometimes you can do it through a dot com. Um, but to have an expert, a fitment expert there inside a dealership is, of course, really important, too. And the product to which Break Free attaches is really important when it comes to fitting. And, and I think there's still a predominantly large quantity of helmets that are sold through stocking dealers. Sure, once you can you know exactly what brand or what size or what fit you need, you can still order it from a dot com. But uh, it's, it's important to have dealers there also. I think there's a a large quantity of of sales that you guys with break free will will experience with brick and mortar dealers too so tell us a little bit about that first dealer relationship guys um you know how 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 did you select that dealer to work with and and uh what made you feel confident that they're worth your time and effort well definitely so the way that we've gotten a lot of the dealer interest was because a lot of folks saw us on shark tank so it was a lot easier for us to um, kind of get a lot of interest from dealers initially because of that um, mass media exposure. We've also participated in the uh, MIC gas tank competition, which was a lot of industry folks as well. So I think that, you know, seeing our brand and seeing what we're all about made, made us interesting to the dealers. Um, the first dealer that we signed on was GoAZ uh, Motorcycles in Arizona. Mm -hmm. And they have seven different locations. We've done some uh, initial conversations where they've asked us some questions about our product, asked us about, you know, fitments, you know, the typical questions about how do we handle warranty? What are our margins? Things like that. Um, 
and you know everything looked really good they they have a fantastic sales team they have a lot of um, social media presence um, they have a loyal uh, customer base and we certainly do see the value of being in those dealerships because seeing our product is really um, how a lot of people believe in in the product itself you know you could see a lot of different videos and there's a lot of stuff you could do to kind of like amplify the visibility aspect of it online and whatnot but seeing how bright the product is seeing how well it looks on a helmet making sure that it's going to fit your helmet um, i think that that's really important and that's why we're going to be pursuing building out our dealer network um, this year and going forward um, i think eric is absolutely right you know there's definitely something to it where you can have that interaction with the sales expert who can show you how it's going to sit on the helmet how to properly mount it so that way you're kind of getting a lot of people saying the same message instead of just us kind of doing it on the website there's a lot of different ways where people can get the wrong information online and then getting it from an expert at a store i think that that's very valuable well it's a great add-on sale for the dealer too and it, it's an easy no-brainer look at this Absolutely. and uh, here's how it works they can demo it right there in seconds and honestly um, I, i'm really excited for your guys success so Eric, uh, in, in, in understanding their product uh, and with, you know, three plus decades of riding motorcycles and industry experience and that sort of thing, um, what is your uh, best advice, not just for the Break Free guys, but for any um, accessory brand to best leverage their dealer relationship? And, and I'll add also conversely, can dealers draw additional door swings with the by promoting these like accessories that don't that it might not be a major OEM product, but it's like uh, it you know is something different. Is is that a useful tool to pull people in? Well, it certainly can be, especially for those dealers who get it, for the ones who are promoting their aftermarket brands who include them in their social media posts. But a lot of the dealers just don't either have the time or take the time to do that. Uh, in most cases, the aftermarket brand is gonna be responsible for their own promotion to help the dealer have an easier sale. So, you know, my advice to companies like Break Free is you, you've gotta make it easy for the dealer to sell that. You have to do the promotion. They're not gonna necessarily do it for you. However, if you have pre-made posts for social media that involve your product, yeah, that should be part of your dealer kit. And, you know, short of actually posting it for them, you've got to do just about everything else. Uh, and then ask them to go local while you go global or, or national in your case. You know, there's obviously various levels of marketing and advertising that are available now. And uh, it's a challenge to figure out what is the right balance for your particular product and how dependent upon dealers uh, you are, but going direct like you guys are doing now, consumer direct, you know how to get to the motorcycle riders in Instagram and Facebook, pretty easy to find them and to target them and they'll either buy direct or when they see it at a local dealer, they'll be reminded of it. And, uh, that's what advertising is all about. They need to, customers need to see and hear about you five to six to eight times before they really start seriously thinking of buying it. And you've got to appear 
in some of the most unexpected places, whether it's, you know, a real event like the IMS shows, uh, whether it's online and Instagram or Facebook, whether it's in a direct email or on the shelf of a motorcycle dealership, even better is a friend that you ride with has it on the back of his helmet mm-hmm. or he's starting to use it. Then the old word of mouth, like anything else, is still the strongest endorsement you could possibly have is one of your peers is using it. Absolutely. That's been a huge sales tool for us as well as just having that word of mouth. You know, a lot of people are buying our product because they saw it on a helmet of their friend or a group ride or an event that they've attended. And we certainly have plans to attend this year's IMS show. And we're planning to do a lot more events going forward because, you know, seeing is believing. People want to see how it works. And Robert, I got to ask Alex a question, though. Please. User-generated content, you know. UCG, um, UGC, sorry, is sort of tantamount importance. How do you get your customers to engage either in social media or amongst themselves to generate the story? I'm big on have a brand having a story. How is it that a peer can share the break-free story with a friend? How do you get users to generate that content, not from you, but from themselves? Right, and that's a great question. Uh, currently, what we're using, there's, we're, we're on the Shopify platform for our e-commerce store, and there's lots of different options for you to gather uh, customer reviews. And one of those um, options that we've selected sends the customer a request for a review and it gives them a bit of a perk for submitting a picture of their product. So there's, you know, a review that comes with it, plus a picture with, you know, a break free on their helmet, them writing. And a lot of people love sharing those kind of things anyway. So I think another way would be to any uh, run maybe a giveaway or some kind of a contest where if you share a picture of yourself with break free, um, you, you would be able to potentially win a free one or something like that. Uh, Got it. Yeah, we're I'm with my ad agency. We're running some sweepstakes contests now, and it starts to get everybody talking. And then, of course, sharing their contact information too. So, awesome. Thank you. I I mean that's just sort of the new technology at work on on engagement with end users, and I'm I'm excited to learn new things every day. Absolutely. Well, that, yeah, we are all learning and there's there's so many new riders coming in. So with 2020, we all we you know, we beat the drum where we've got a whole bunch of new riders who who came in during the pandemic. Uh, and um, many of these new so certainly some of them were return riders that came back and said, oh, I remember when I used to ride a motorcycle in college, et cetera. But we saw a lot of new first time motorcycle riders coming in. And many of these younger riders came from you know, more, I'll call it cynically, I'll call it like the safety generation, right? Um, So, you know, us salt and pepper beard guys talk about swinging from the birch tree in our front yard during a lightning storm. And, um, but there's a, a, a newer generation that was like, no, you definitely need to wear a helmet and wrist guards when you're riding your, your razor kick scooter. Um, So, you know, uh, uh, safety is top of mind but so is experience. So Eric, maybe you could talk a little bit about that, that interplay of that new rider energy uh, and how aftermarket brands can actually help grow 
the entire motorcycle <laughs> industry for us. It's funny you say that. We're, we're always labeled the aftermarket guys, you know, like we're the bastard children who are left to the end of the line. That's right. Where, whereas I, of course, yeah, I look at it exactly the opposite. You might remember, you know, if you're an old VW Beetle fan, the MP catalog was three inches thick full of Volkswagen accessories for your Beetle. And to, to me, the MP catalog is what sold more VW Beetles than anything out there. Because the first thing you did when you bought a VW Beetle was to modify it or change it or pinstripe it or put wheels well, that, on it. So that same thing happens with like lowbrow customs in the sports sure. market, right? That's like, here's all this cool stuff you can do to your standard bike. Oh, I yep. got to get one of those bikes so I can do this cool stuff, right? Exactly. So really the aftermarket to me the OEMs don't like hearing this around the MIC boardroom table, but the aftermarket leads the OEM market. Of course, that's extremely egotistical for me to say that, but it forces you to think differently. Um, sounds like I'm quoting Steve Jobs here, but that's my point is, is reverse the way you think. The reason you're buying this motorcycle is so you can change it. It's a vehicle for accessorization or the, the new better word is personalization. And yeah. when you buy, when you buy a pair of Oakley sunglasses, which actually they call them eyewear, on the custom shop, you know, you can customize them any way you want. You can you can customize a pair of Vans tennis shoes or Nike shoes online now, wait two weeks and get it. So they're absolutely unique. And that's what motorcyclists always have sort of wanted to do, even newcomers. The first thing they're going to do after they buy that motorcycle is change it or dress themselves up or dress it up or alter it a little bit with aftermarket products to make it their own. It's the personalization process. I tell you, the first thing I'm going to want to do with my digital mannequin is hit the button that takes off the COVID-15. That's the oh, yeah. first thing I'm going to want to do with that bad boy. But the uh, uh, you guys uh, on your um, on the break free product, I don't you know, we're not going to crack the door open to what's coming in the future here. But I want you guys to talk a little bit about your modern take on a brand's community and uh, and how you expect to grow that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, growing the brand is. Uh, <laughs> could be challenging um but i think using the initial indiegogo community was hugely successful for us and they continue to be our brand ambassadors and as long as we're engaging um with the social posts that we're creating and creating posts more regularly we could certainly do a better job than we're currently doing on social media um but, you know, being in various places, wherever people are looking for your content, like on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, um, having that content on your website, having email strategy, that's all going to help build that audience. And um, just uh, creating ways for customers to, or not customers, but for your community to interact and create kind of a, um, a community feeling around the product and, and, and the safety aspect, I think is going to be hugely important in, in growing the brand and growing that uh, number of followers and whatnot, what you want to call it. I think that there's an old saying that comes to mind is to uh, don't miss out on greatness when you're seeking perfection. 
and it applies to social media that you get the sense that, oh, every 10 minutes I have to put up a new piece of content and there's always this pressure to do and do and do. And so it kind of shuts you down from doing anything. So kudos to you guys on first off, just doing anything um, and uh, and getting that out there. And it's something that constant, it's constant new water under the bridge um, that you do need that new stuff. However, that said, you can go back and recycle old content and bring stuff back around again in the in a see I I told you so sort of format and and that kind of thing, uh, and I think that that's one of the the key things is to continue that you're not ignoring past conversations you're continuing to have that, so you're you guys are are working with a new wave of dealers who are under a lot of different kinds of uh, pressure than they were, you know, 15 or, or 20 years ago when you guys weren't even in power sports at that point. Um, if you were giving advice to another aftermarket brand in how to best relate to and talk to the modern dealer from the break free perspective, what, what would you guys say to them? Hmm. That's a tough one because we're kind of at an infancy stage of that whole process. And so we're kind of creating um it from as we go along luckily we've had a number of really great mentors and folks that could kind of help us lead 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 us through that process of uh engaging dealers but really what's worked for me is just to be able to contact people directly either via email or getting on a phone call and getting that personal connection and letting them know that you're there to support them and that you know if they have a question they have somebody that will respond to them very quickly and answer any concerns or questions that they or their customers are having um, having the ability to support them with their marketing efforts uh, i think something that worked really well with uh, go az was they have a social media marketing team and they've collaborated with us on launching break free where they sold out of pretty much the 10 units that they've purchased initially on day one because we did kind of a joint marketing push together um, having some kind of a way to demonstrate your product has been also very successful, at least with the mm -hmm. GoAZ guys and having a demo unit in store and, and being able to um, just make yourself available for questions and to be able to answer, um, you know, how, how do you mount this thing on a helmet? What kind of warranty process does it have? You know, how does it work with, uh, with the team? Having a good dealer kit also helps and we've gotten a lot of help from our mentor that we got from the MIC gas tank competition, uh, Jason Wickenkamp, he's been amazing. He's kind of showed us what's worked for them in the past and we've adapted some of the uh, best uh, practices in, in our own way. And um, I think that's been working for dealers. It's easy to understand what the costs are going to be, what are the different products that you're selling maybe share some feedback of what your customers are saying about your product to kind of build that confidence with the dealer uh, off the get-go. And um, yeah, I mean, let me know if you would like me to add something else or. Well, I, I think that that's a great answer. And what you're basically hitting on is mentors. That's what you said uh, outright is that you didn't work in a bubble and just yeah. assume that it's all, you know, you, you got it handled, right? You were, you, you know, you don't know what you don't know, Eric, is is one of the biggest pieces of uh, business advice out there, right? And uh, now that you've like sort of 
delved into the break free story a little bit and that sort of thing, would you speak to uh, your advice for uh, brands launching in a modern market? I got to say mentoring is part of that. Um, just so you know, Alex, Jason Wickenkamp was a sub rep for me at Scorpion in Indiana, and he moved out to Southern California so he could get a bigger territory. And I believe he, once he started selling for us at Scorpion, he added maybe Oakley and Fox Clothing as dealer direct brands. Mm -hmm. And he learned from the ground up. And he was one of the most professional salespeople um, I ever had. I, I Sure, I trained him a little bit, but he also had the natural talent and building relationships with dealers. But mentorship is is a great topic that you guys hit on. And if you're an aftermarket brand that's you know, ready to launch, you have to learn how to think like a dealer. You need to go work inside a dealer if you've never worked inside a dealership before to understand their problems. And surreptitiously, your aftermarket brand somehow is going to solve some of those problems, perhaps by increasing sales, increasing floor traffic, um, increasing profits. That's how you have to start thinking. It's not that you're wanting the dealer to buy my stuff and go sell my stuff, how are you going to become a solution to his problems? And thereby you end up <laughs> secondarily selling your product into that dealership. The dealer kit is really key. You mentioned that. I have a dealer kit list of ingredients. It's 22 things long that you have to provide a dealer. So at a glance, he can determine everything how easy is it going to be to do business with you and that's one of the key issues um today the big box distributors and we know who they are are really easy to do business with because they have their own online ordering system and you usually get a delivery the next day maybe two days later that's pretty easy um, but the selection of products is limited to me, those are, and it's limited to the brands that make that distributor the most money. And many of those are house brands. To me, that can be a blocking factor in our industry, not allowing dealers to see or sell mm -hmm. other products that are maybe not as easily available. So the, the key to the city here, and you already figured it out with Jason as your mentor, is if you make it easy, they will come, um, but that's that's a challenge to make it easy for the dealers to buy, reorder, stock, sell, and display. So I want to thank our guests uh, today. I've got one more question I'm going to ask them, but before I do that, um, I want to I want each of you guys to be able to put in the plug for your company. Uh, Eric, if your uh, marketing brilliance uh, is to be unlocked, they need to get in touch with you. How would they do that? Yeah, I'm uh, vroomnetwork.com. It's V as in Victor, R-O-O-M as in Mary. It's kind of like the sound of a motorcycle. Vroomnetwork.com. And I'm just Eric, E-R-I-C at vroomnetwork.com. If you want to send me an email, we do marketing. Um, we brush up brands. We, we build brands from scratch. Uh, we know the industry. I work a lot with European brands that are coming to the U.S., uh, Asian brands that are coming to the U.S. and aren't familiar with how to do business here. So I'm always to I'm always here to help. There you go. And how do we get break-free products into our stores and into our hands, gentlemen? 
Well, the best way is to email our team and it will be either alex at breakfreetech.com and it's spelled B-R-A-K-E-F-R-E-E-T-E-C-H.com or emailing support at breakfreetech. Um, we are also available through various social media platforms, so you could send us a message there. Somebody will definitely respond within a couple of hours, I want to say. Um, and we're at Break Free Tech on Facebook and Instagram, Twitter and uh, YouTube. So feel free to reach out whichever way is most convenient. And then we'll send a, a dealer kit your way and um, make myself available for any questions, phone calls, follow up, anything. Making it easy, ladies and gentlemen. You can keep your carrier pigeons at home. Um, all right. So here's the last question for, for you guys. And this is one that we ask all of our guests. Uh, and that is if you were to address the entire motorcycle OEM and dealer network, which I think, Eric, you've actually had a chance to probably do that. But if you were able to address the entire OEM and motorcycle dealer network in one room with a couple of sentences of advice, what would it be? And I'm going to start with Eric. Talk to one another. I mean, right now there isn't a platform for dealers to speak with their OEMs or their distributors other than through kind of a disjointed process of sales reps um, who oftentimes do get it. But I'm in the process of helping assemble the National Power Sport Dealers Association. You'll see a press release on it within the next 30 days. Our first board meeting is in Texas later this month. Um, dealers have never been organized in our industry. Um, for 117 years, automotive dealers, RV dealers, marine dealers all have a dealers association, but we don't have a place to really sit down and talk as a group. So that's my advice is we all need to listen to one another and talk with one another more often. Um, we've got the AMA and the MIC. What's missing on that third leg of the triangle is a dealer association. All right, Alex and, and or Ian, what would you like to say to the entire motorcycle industry at one time? <laughs> well, I think we're uh, we're in the beginning of this whole process, so I don't know that we should be necessarily doling out advice. Uh, we're we're kind of here to listen, you know, the other way. Um, we're just. I'm not. I'm not. Uh, hey, I am not letting you off the hook, okay? Because <laughs> I, I guarantee you. Uh, uh, you've run into some stumbles, you've run into some issues, and you've probably been able to say to more than a few people, see, I told you so, right? So uh, so, so, speak a little bit to that tenacity and, and what it takes. No, there's certainly been some of that. I think, you know, things that we've learned, you know, between OEMs and, of course, doing breakthroughs, is, you know, you're, even a team of experts are going to have an ideal for what they think is going to happen, but the best information you can ever get is just speaking to the customer direct and, you know, getting as many of those conversations going as possible. You know, the, the stuff that we do on social media and the, the answers that we get and the questions that we get really teach us a lot of stuff that, you know, even after 15 years in the industry for me, it's still, you know, you're still learning every day. So I would say that ears open and just listen to the customer as much as possible. Flexibility and communications. That is our closing theme. I want to thank our guests uh, for joining us today. Uh, Alex and Ian from Break Free Technologies. Make sure you check them out. Eric Anderson, uh, I'm still picking uh, dust out of my nose from us riding across the country together. I want to thank both of you guys, uh, all of you guys, excuse me, all three of you guys for, um, for joining us. 
today on Center Stand. Uh, you can follow IMS and IMS Outdoors on LinkedIn for sneak peeks on our upcoming episodes and all the news from the, the big nine-show tour coming up at IMS Outdoors. And we're excited to continue our conversations with dealers uh, and the aftermarket and bring tactical ways to support this amazing industry that we're all lucky to be a part of. Uh, if you have any topics that you want us to answer uh, during this season of Center Stand, reach out to us directly at IMSPR at informa.com and our upcoming e-newsletter is coming to an inbox new totally free uh it features articles it dives into our discussed topics uh as well as articles written by our guests so once again gentlemen eric ian alex thank you very much for joining us uh on center stand and we will catch all of you down the road 